On this episode of Maxine TV, it was a true privilege and honor to interview Curtis Schoon, a true entrepreneur and success story. But the real story here is how he started and how he was able to get where he is today. He is today, he's a very successful business owner, writer, producer, executive producer, narrator, and filmmaker. However, it didn't start out that way. In fact, years ago, Curtis Schoon was actually named a suspect in a very high-profile crime. Curtis was then forced to redirect his goals of writing spec scripts and give his full attention to a real-life drama, his own life. It quickly became clear to Schoon that he would need to find media outlets to tell his side of the story. This effort to clear his name would be Schoon's introduction to the world of media and entertainment. In 2003, Curtis got his first opportunity by writing a sidebar entitled Framed and Defamed for Playboy magazine after pitching it to their executive director at the time. Soon after, Schoon crafted a book concept that would tie the subject of Queens, the Queens gangsters of the 1980s to the world of pop culture, and his work in Playboy was instrumental in making that a reality. He's the sole contributor. That book idea became Queen's Reign Supreme, Fat Cat, 50 Cent, and The Rise of the Hip Hop Hustler, which is available on Amazon and other booksellers. The book became not only a must-read for lovers of hip-hop, but received a starred review in Publishers Weekly and was yet another stepping stone for Curtis Goon. The success of Queen's Reigns Supreme pushed the story of Lorenzo, a.k.a. Fat Cat Nichols, into the media spotlight, thus causing it to be featured on the debut season of BET's American Gangster series. Schoon was offered a consultant position on the show. After proving his worth in gold, Curtis was offered a co-producer's position in 2007 on the Kenneth Supreme McGriff episode of the American Gangster series. Schoon's uncanny ability to penetrate the urban underworld yielded yet another score, an exclusive jailhouse interview of Fat Cat in 2006 for King Magazine. It was the only interview given by Fat Cat in over 20 years of incarceration. In that same year, there was a feature article written about Schoon in Groove Magazine. The magazine is based in France, which gave him international exposure. Having consistently proved himself, Curtis was given the opportunity as a producer in 2008 on the Shower Posse episode of the series American Gangster. Given his track record, his selection was a natural progression. Curtis was the only producer in the world that was granted an interview with the infamous Vivian Blake, former leader of the Shower Posse. Today, Schoon continues to pursue his ambition of producing feature films and has recently completed Black, White, and Blue a controversial documentary about race, police, and politics. Please go make sure to check out SchoonTV.com and his YouTube channel, uh, SchoonTV. Hope you guys enjoy the interview. And welcome, everyone, to another great edition of Max and TV. I have here Curtis Schoon. Real honor and privilege to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Max. I'm honored to be here. And, um, you just launched recently... Um, Schoon TV, which um, which is we're actually going to get into how you even started into the broadcasting uh, world, because um, did you always imagine you were going to get into broadcasting? No, I, I didn't imagine I was going to get into uh, filmmaking, mental health or broadcasting, any of these things. I just they're just natural developments 
from my reactions to things going on in 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 my life and in society. Yeah, um, you know, for those for those who don't know, um, you know, Curtis is responsible for a lot of uh, film productions, which you actually just came out with recently, right? Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I did um, the poster right behind me, Black, White, and Blue. It's a film I made, independent film that I financed uh, and and produced, did the interviews. It's about race, politics, and police. I released it about three years ago, four years ago, three years ago, and it received uh, f- uh, five stars on Amazon. You can go to the website, blackwhiteandbluefilm.com. Uh, and check it out. Or you can go to my, my media, my news platform, which is schooltv.com and check the film out there. Right. And we will be leaving links down below. So, so why don't, why don't we start from the beginning? So where did you grow up originally? And um, yeah, why don't we start from there? Where did you grow up originally? Well, I, I grew up in, in Hollis, Queens and um, I'm a Queens native. There we go. Uh, I went to Catholic school. As a matter of fact, I didn't live too far from um, from where Donald Trump grew up in Jamaica Estates, about a little, about three miles away. Yeah, right. Of course, right. Of course. Mm-hmm. You're actually not too far from me. Actually, I'm in Teaneck, New Jersey. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, in New Jersey. But yeah, I grew up in Queens. Um, I I came up a, a, a I guess some could say a. The rough way, uh, I got a, a colorful history, but the thing that I'm most proud of is how I overcame those obstacles and yeah, and turned my life around. Um, I currently employ upwards of 40 people, contractors and W-2 workers. And uh, I'm, this business that I'm starting now with, with SchoonTV.com is... Um, it's fascinating because I have my own server. Um, I'm putting out content that's unbiased, unlike what you see in most media. You can right. go to one network and see one one topic, one subject matter, one narrative, and go to another and there's the opposite. But it's all there on my site with uh, my town hall. And I have my own server, like I said, and... I, I get visitors from all over the world. I was fascinated yesterday because there were people in Poland, Romania, New Zealand. Really? Yes, wow. about, I, I was. I, I had visitors from six continents God, on the wow. site yesterday, and um, I'm, I'm very proud of that because I'm getting I'm getting the word out about certain things. You know, I, I employ several journalists, uh, great writers. Many have written uh, for uh, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, wow. Playboy, Daily Caller, and now they write for me on school TV, and, yeah. and I'm proud of that. And I also write myself, you know, so I do a lot of things. That, and as you know, Max, because you've interviewed them, um, I work with uh, Coleman Young up in Detroit. Correct. Yeah. He, he's currently running for city council at large. Yeah, He's the man. And, I love that guy. <laughs> And, and he's and he's he's in the lead, you know. It looks like he's going to get elected. I'm the executive director of his uh, educational foundation up there, the CAY2Foundation.org, where we get STEM training to to youth in Detroit public school systems. We've partnered with DPS. 
So I, I'm just doing a lot of different things, and I'm trying to be as as positive in my contributions as possible, as I think we all should. Yeah, it's really remarkable. You're really like a, a walking example of what you really can accomplish in your life and be very successful at it. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, Playboy. I think it, you know, is that really where, from the research that I've done, that's where you got your start. You wrote an article for Playboy magazine. <laughs> is that correct? Yeah, you know. Like, wait, first of all, there are articles in Playboy magazine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you'd be surprised. Um, there, there's some really good articles in there. At least they used to be. I haven't read it in a while. But this, this, I'm, I'm gonna give your your viewers the story behind that, the the backstory, right? What what happened was, I, I made headlines. And um, I was wrongfully accused of a crime. And, and one of my philosophies is that a blessing and a curse are one and the same, the difference being in the application. So even though it was a dire situation and a very tumultuous period in my life, I figured out, I thought, how could I use this to my advantage? So I, I pitched my story to, Clay, to Playboy. They had a submission form for articles, and I told them I didn't have an article. I had something better. I had an exclusive story. And um, mm. the story was I was accused of killing Jam Master Jay, a guy I knew all my, all my life. He lived around the corner from me. And, of course, they've arrested some other people just last year, but I carried that burden for a long time. And... Um, Chris Napolitano, who was the features editor at the time, he got back in touch with me. And I remember his email. He said, this is the most curious email I've ever received while working here. And um, we developed a rapport and we were going back and forth. And he decided that they would tell my story, but I needed to be the one to pitch it. So I did. I pitched it to all the big, big wigs at Playboy on a conference call, and they decided to, to go with the story. But part of that pitch, I negotiated um, for me to write my own story, which was a thousand-word sidebar titled Framed and Defamed. So Chris agreed to do that because he had been corresponding with me in writing previously, so he saw that I had a command of the vocabulary, and my writing skills was somewhat decent. I think it's pretty decent, you know? And um. So they paid, they paid me to, they paid me to write. Turns out the Playboy story became the basis for a book that was pitched. I pitched it to Ethan Brown and um, he got his first book deal with Random House. It was called Queens Reign Supreme because it told the story of how Queens influenced the world through hip hop. The streets of Queens influenced the artists of Queens who who then influenced the world. So it, it received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. I, I owned, I, I still own 25% of the gross of all revenue from that book across the board. I negotiated that deal myself as well with ICM, which was the talent agency for Ethan. And uh, that book turned into uh, an opportunity for me to produce on television where uh, BET started airing a series called American Gangster. And the book, 
the subject of the book, Lorenzo Fat Cat Nichols, turned out to be um, one of the subjects in the first season of American Gangster. I ended up working with uh, Asylum Entertainment, which was the production company producing the show for three seasons. First season as a consultant, second as a co-producer, and the final season I was a full producer for the Jamaican Shower Posse story. Um, keep in mind that I've never gone to school for journalism, television production, or anything. I just figured things out as they as they get presented to me, right? So I took my experience from producing with BET and I turned that into making the film Black, White, and Blue. And the story behind that is I was on social media at the time when Trayvon Martin was killed and Black Lives Matter came about and all that. And I didn't really agree with some of the things they were saying. I felt like they were misrepresenting the community that I knew. It seemed like they was talking about different things and their priorities were not in alignment with the everyday black people that I that I grew up around because I'm actually from that community, you know? So I made my own film as a rebuttal to all of that. I was actually the very first person to go on record in a film exposing Black Lives Matter for the fraud that they are. And uh, it didn't win me any favors in the entertainment business, I could tell you that. I, I didn't get any distribution. I didn't get accepted to any film festivals. But it's okay because I don't do things purely out of uh, profit motivation. I do things because I feel that it's right and it's righteous. And if it, if it's meant to be, I will benefit from it. And I can say that I've benefited from the film, not in the glorious ways that some get accolades in the cover of magazines and awards, but it, it, it opened a lot of doors for me. Because that's how I ended up meeting Senator Coleman Young II. I interviewed him for the film. And with that, I got into politics because I backed him when he ran for mayor. I was his largest uh, financial contributor when he ran for mayor, simply because I met him from doing the film. And actually, the film was my introduction to politics. And I started understanding politics and as it relates to the black community. And what I saw was, we definitely don't play the game of politics right. You know, it's more like a popularity thing. You know, you, you, you vote for people because you like them. And you like them a lot of times because you're told to like them. And the only thing I'm interested in is results. So I don't claim any political party. I'm not a Democrat, I'm not a Republican. I just want what's best for my community, like everybody else. And if you're not doing that, then I'm not interested in you. I don't hate you uh, or anything, but you can't get my vote unless you do something for me. And I don't mean symbolism or some, some token gesture or something or acknowledgement, which seems to be all a lot of people care about. This is why I literally love the fact that you're on my show. You are the man. And so you're a purebred entrepreneur, just bottom line. Um, yes. One major thing that always, you know, gets under my skin is how many people do you know 
that they want to do something and the only reason they don't do it is simply because they just don't right they're like mm -hmm. max i want to start a podcast so i'm like why don't you they're like well i don't know you know there's always a million <laughs> reason, there's always a million reasons to do something yeah. did you hear what you just said like anything you want to do you get up and you go do it actually that it's is correct like you know like you're yeah. in the top percentage of people because you simply get stuff done it's remarkable yeah. Listen, man, prior to me sitting down for this interview, I was paying contributors, promoting my website. When I finish this interview, I'm going back to that. And you just got to take care of business, man. Uh, uh, tomorrow and, and Sunday, I'll be doing man on the street interviews for my paywall content. I got really great content on my site, man. I, I really wanted to do something to bring media and journalism back to to what I, at least I thought it once was. Maybe it's always been propaganda. I don't know, but I'm not about propaganda. I don't have a problem with people who have different views from me. Nothing. I think everybody should be heard and let the people decide for themselves. And I don't think that's what's happening. That's what motivated me. Um, When Trump lost his Twitter page, I said to myself, man, if they could do this to the president, they could do this to me. And, and if we can get uh, deplatformed, as they say, simply for not towing the, towing the line, then that's not good. We might as well be in the Soviet Union. This, the media might as well be Pravda. I don't know if you remember Pravda, but that was the official Soviet paper that printed nothing but propaganda. And in a lot of ways, Americans are like frogs in a in a pot of boiling water they don't even realize that they're being cooked because the temperature is being turned up so slowly and i think that's dangerous i think we all have to be mindful regardless of our differences we all have to cherish the freedom that this country represents and accentuate the things that we have in common to maintain that freedom a hundred percent a hundred percent um, so you mentioned, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything. You don't necessarily agree with their views. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, if you, if you go on the Black Lives Matter um, website, I don't know if it's still up there, but it's in my film. They promote, you know, destruction of the nuclear family, a lot of a lot of LGBTQism stuff, right? And again. I'm not a bigot, I'm not a homophobe, I'm not a misogynist or anything. I just want to know how is that going to help the black community? And what does any of that have to do with the the protesting of black men dying at the hands of police officers? It has nothing to do with it. What has happened is a, an issue that will resonate with black people has been co-opted by other people using black faces to advance an agenda that has nothing to do with us. In fact, the, the death, the trauma of heterosexual black men has somehow become political currency to advance those set agendas. And that's very, very duplicitous, at the least. Some may say sinister. You see, and for me, when I, when I look at the black community, there's a couple of things that we never really address. Some of it is 
is the is our own is our own fault. Some of it is the fault of others. But we have to get our act together, and we are constantly at a disadvantage because of our economic deficiencies. And also, truthfully speaking, a lot of us just aren't willing to sacrifice to correct those economic deficiencies. We want it now, and we want it right away. And a lot of times when people offer you things right away, it's not going to be what you think it is, you know? So rather than making a lot of speeches and getting on a soapbox pontificating all the time, I prefer to lead by example. I think the way I I live my life, as far as publicly, is what it's going to take to turn the community around. When Black Lives Matter attacks the nuclear family, what they're not saying is that there is no example of their definition of family that has succeeded in world history. So it turns the black community essentially into some kind of experiment. Let's see if this will work. But what if it doesn't? The fact of the matter is every successful community, ethnic group, irrespective of race, religion, or what have you, that thrives in this country, it it does so because of a solid family unit, the patriarchy. And if you're not promoting that, I don't think you mean us any good. We know what works. Why don't we promote that? Why do we need to try something different? I, I, I just don't get it, but I do get it. There are people in our community who will do anything for their for their proverbial 30 pieces of silver. And man, it, it, it's just sad. It's just sad. And that, that's the danger of celebrity worship and material worship. When, when you make money your God and, and celebrities your prophet, your prophets, you're on the road to hell. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. That is really, that's really deep insight right there. And, um, I couldn't agree with you more, honestly. Um, so it, it's, um, you know, going back to your early days, actually, you know, unfortunately that incident happened, you were accused of something you clearly didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, where, where was your, you know, where were you heading at the time? Like, I assume because that happened, that's how you were able to get into broadcasting. And so if it didn't happen, where do you think, like, where do you think you would have gone? Yeah, you, you know, that's a good question, Max. Um, uh, I'm a firm believer that all things perpetuate destiny. At the time when I was wrongfully accused, I was at the lowest point in my life because I didn't know what my next move was going to be. I was 38 years old and I was trying to reinvent myself because who I had been and what I had done was no longer of any interest to me. I knew that couldn't work. So I'm trying to reinvent myself at 38 years old. And it it was hard. And then in the middle of all of that, then I I get thrown right into the fire. And they say what don't kill you will make you stronger. So I, I would like to think that I'm a living testimony to that, man, because I could have tapped out at that moment. 
You know, I I, I really could have. And, and I'll share something with you and, and your viewers. It's a little personal, but in, in around May of 2002, because I was accused in October, around May of 2002, I had a dream. And I dreamt that I was in the audience of a talk show and the guest was a gypsy psychic. So when he brought her out, she looked at me and she called my name. And it shocked me. This is in my dream. And I told her, I said, if you want to impress me, tell me how to get rich. So remember, I'm struggling. I'm broke. So this is on my mind, even in my dreams, right? right, right. And she says, if you want the light to shine on you, you'll have to come out of the fire. So I, I, I awoke instantly. My eyes opened. It was the weirdest dream, man. And I was wondering, what does that mean? Like, I got to come out of the fire. When I was accused and my name was all over the news and I was on the front page of the papers, I knew what the fire was. See, when you're on fire, you don't have to ask, well, what does that mean? You'll know what it means because you're going to feel the heat. But believe it or not, that dream gave me the confidence and the hope because I said, you know what, This, if this is the fire, if I come through this, I'm going to be all right. And I'm telling you, I've been all right ever since, man. Like, <laughs> you've been more than all right. <laughs> you know, I've been all right, but it, it, because I was down, and I, it would have been easy to quit. But something, I, I had hope. I said, if I could just get through this, I think I'm gonna be all right. And, and that's just how it worked out. I don't know what that was, but that's what happened. That, that's amazing. You know, I actually uh, recently came out with a post of all of, a uh, you know, I named it like five or six companies that were started by founders who were 50 years old or older. And the names of the companies are companies that everyone sees every day. McDonald's, Geico, mm. Wendy's. Can you imagine not having life without McDonald's or Wendy's? Like, seriously, mm -hmm. um, these companies were started by people after 50. And so you're an even better you're just another example of you know a lot of people think well i'm too old you know what am i going to do with it uh you know what am i going to start and look how much you're able to accomplish right and yeah listen man i did not find my way until i was 46 and when i talk to young black men i make sure and emphasize that to them because you can't give up you cannot give up on life man because you never know. 46, I started my own business in, in Washington, D.C., which is an outpatient mental health business. Currently, I serve, well, my, myself and my business partner, we serve a 1,000 clients, roughly. We employ several doctors and nurse practitioners, um, a plethora of um, therapists, caseworkers, and the like. And um, I would have never imagined that I would be in mental health. And that mental health business is the foundation of everything else that I did. Uh, as far as back in Coleman, with the STEM program, with the film, even with SchoolTV.com right now, that business put me in a financial space where I could do certain things. So a couple things. I live below my means. 
And this gives me the ability to invest and expand, diversify my portfolio, should I say. So I try different things, you know, because a lot of us, regardless of how much money we make, people get in the habit of living check to check. Whether that be the guy whose check is a half a million or the guy whose check is $500, we kind of spend money before it even gets there. So it comes in one hand and goes out the other. And I have a lot of financial discipline. And I take risk. I take calculated risk. I'm not big on the stock market or anything. I do dabble with it a little bit because, you know, you have to. But primarily, my major investment is me. I bet on me. That's the safest bet for me. You want, I, people ask me about investing in them. No, I, I invest in me. I'm sorry. But any money I have to invest in anyone is going to be in my own ideas because I got a bunch of them. There you go. And so it's uh, funny you say that. My dad actually was a financial advisor. And so he he told over the story where, you know, there was a, there was a, a couple, you know, a husband and wife, and they were both janitors. I mean, and we're talking you know, probably the eighties, something like the mm-hmm. probably eighties, nineties. I mean, if he probably brought home $7,000 for the year and she probably brought home probably $8,000 for the year. I mean, wow. I'm talking like nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They came to my dad and they had a hundred thousand dollars to invest. Right. Um, meanwhile, the guy with the Mercedes, the nice house, the boat, the whatever calls my dad in a panic is like, I, I need like 200,000, like, <laughs> you know, so uh, All the time. it really has nothing to do with really how much money you're making. It's how you're managing it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, someone told me the other day, it's not what you make, it's what you keep. You right. Know? It's what that a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like you spent a million dollars on a boat. Yeah. But you got four cents and you're, it, I, I'm, I'm from Miami. You know, I'm used to that. The guy drives a Ferrari. He's got 42 cents in his bank account. Wow. Yeah, but that's Miami. It's all glitz and glare. So how how did you originally start your your, uh, facilities, actually? That's, you know, that's not easy to do. That's very difficult. (laughs) Here here we go. Story time again, right? So so what happened was when I went out, after the incident in New York, I had to leave New York because I was a little uh, wary of the police because the case was unsolved for 18 years. And I definitely didn't want to be picked up, charged with something else so they could try to put the case on me or whatever. So I went to Atlanta. My mom was down there. And I was actually selling bootleg DVDs. And a guy that I had known and hadn't seen for 15 years, he saw me in the parking lot. And he had become an ordained minister and licensed social worker. And he introduced me to the field. Now, I was working with BT all at this time as well, working on American Gangster and doing the book thing. But entertainment stuff doesn't really pay a lot of money until you really make it. But on the way up, man, it's it's just it's a pittance, you know. So I was I was supplementing my income selling DVDs and stuff like that. And he introduced me to the idea of mental health because he was a therapist. So he would ask me, he said, look, man, 
I, I want to open a business and I want you to be a part of it. I had no interest in being a part of it because I didn't know anything about mental health. And I'm very kind of guarded about staying the course with my own vision and rather than letting other people take me on their vision, you know? So I wanted to pitch a, pitch a movie and stuff. I was right working on a series. I went out to LA in the, two, the summer of 2009 and things didn't work out for me. So when I came back, I ended up working for this friend in the mental health field in the business that I was supposed to start with him. And it, it was so easy for me. And when the auditors came, they read my notes and they identified my notes as an example of what everyone's notes should be like. Yeah, That's a, really yeah wow. man. So wow. I immediately started uh, planning to do my own business. I felt like I missed the boat. But because I'm a man of principle, I didn't want to start the business in Atlanta where he was. So I, I started it in D.C. where I had a substantial network and had relationships because we're dealing with, um, you got to have some kind of contacts within the municipal governments and stuff like that to get these contracts and a good friend of mine who I went to um, school with, he had some serious relationships. And he had just happened to call me after New Year's in 20, 2010. And I put it, I mentioned it to him. And he said, man, I know this person, that person. I said, I'm coming. He knew nothing about mental health. I knew a little bit about mental health. I came to D.C. on December 1st, 2010, with just one suitcase, moved into an um what they call it, a studio apartment, efficiency, and rented furniture. And I made it happen from there. Wow. It's unbelievable. And the rest is history, right? Well, I ain't finished making history yet, Max. <laughs> that is a, that's a great answer. I love it. I love that answer. Yeah, but... uh, anyways, we are uh, running down on time. Um, you know, just to, just to end off, um, I think you're an unbelievable example as far as entrepreneurship and really just getting stuff done and really making your life to the most of it. Um, is there any specific message you'd like to end off with about, you know, to an aspiring entrepreneur? Yeah, you, you, you got to overcome your fears. Don't become a prisoner to your fear. And, and, and losing is part of the process. You, you guys are hearing all the good stuff, but I, I've taken some losses, you know, and um, I learned from, from them, and it, they, they make me come back better and stronger. Stay focused. Stay focused. If you really want something, dedicate your time to it, and don't make time for people who don't want the things you want. 100%. 100%. Well, Curtis, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to be on the show. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone else will enjoy it as well. And um, please uh, make sure to check out schoontv.com, correct? Schoontv.com. Correct, and subscribe. And subscribe, subscribe. there you go. Yes, and uh, yes, any, right. other, any other areas where people can contact you? Well, I, I'm on LinkedIn, Curtis Schoon. Um, I'm on Twitter, at SchoonTV. I'm on Instagram, at SchoonTV. Um, and primarily my website, schooltv.com. It's doing really good. If you like to read substantive journalism, 
That's the place to go. We have views from the left, right, and center at the town hall, and we also post articles uh, from around the world. No entertainment stuff, all business, social issues, politics. That's it. So if you're a serious thinker, come to schooltv.com. Right. And if you are in the Detroit area, you know who you're going to vote for as well. Coleman Young. Coleman yes. Young. There we go. There we go. City councilman at That's large. Right. Next step is City Hall. <laughs> Look. Right. So if you're from Detroit and you're watching this, you need to vote for Coleman Young. Um, so I'll be leaving links down below. Uh, so, uh, Curtis, I really appreciate it again. And thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, Max. Absolutely. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Hi, I'm Curtis School from School TV, and you're watching Maxon TV, the best.